book of Ephesians. <clears throat> we'll be looking at verses uh, 19 and 20 of Ephesians chapter 6. Whenever I come close to ending a preaching and teaching series through a book, I always approach that ending with great sadness. Always. Always. You say, how are you feeling right now, Pastor Jones? I'm sad. And I'm not just saying that. I really am sad. (laughs) I feel like when you give this amount of study, you feel like you've been with Paul. It's like you spent time with the Apostle. And I remember very early on as I <clears throat> began to understand the aim and purpose of preaching, I was actually in the Middle East. My wife and I served as missionaries there for just over a year before the first Gulf War. And I remember <clears throat> at that time I read a book, and it was called The Life and Journeys of the Apostle Paul. And what it did in that book is it actually attempted to trace chronologically the life and journeys of Paul. And what would happen is, after they filled in the context and the background and acts and all that was going on, you would actually read the letters that he wrote in chronological order with the historical context. And I remember I got down to the end of that book and I was just sobbing. My wife came in and said, what is going on? And I said, he died. He died. My wife's like, well, who died? I said, Paul. And she said, well, of course. But I just felt like that I had been like Timothy, walking and journeying with the Apostle. And I feel that way today. What a gift it is. You say, well, why do you feel that way? Well, I probably have two, maybe three messages left in this book. And if we take three messages, we would have spent 80 sermons in this book. 80 messages in this book means 80 hours. It's like you read through the book with understanding in 40 days. 40 days through the Bible, 40 days and an hour and a half to two hours a day reading through that is 80 hours. And you've only spent listening to 80 hours. I have spent more than 80 hours in study and preparation in this book. I have probably spent, I don't know, maybe three times that amount, maybe three and a half or four times that amount in study in this book. And you can understand how it just becomes your life. It really becomes your life, and it becomes transformative. And I really hope that to some degree that has occurred in your life. You should be no longer the you that you were 80 sermons ago. If you are, you have missed Paul's point here in this book and God's point for us in going through it. Some of you may never again go through a preaching series through this book. So I hope you've taken good notes so that you can relive it every year as you read through your Bible every year. You can see those notes You can recapture the understanding and the illumination that this book has given us of God's eternal purposes. So let's read the book of Ephesians. I want to begin in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. 
though <clears throat> we'll be looking at verses 19 and 20. Paul exhorts this congregation <clears throat> with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We've seen at the end of this book that the Lord is looking to His gathered people to spend time praying at all seasons or all circumstances of our life as a church. Prayer really should be a hallmark, a trademark of every New Testament church. I'm afraid that that trademark not only is in decline, but is absent. Usually corporate prayer in a church is more of a token or a symbol. But the Bible says that corporate New Testament churches are to give themselves to this occupation. And that is to be praying at all times. Not just for one another as needs creep up within a church and those needs do happen, but to be praying for that local New Testament church in a corporate manner as Paul has done, and let's just recapture this in Ephesians 1, verse 15. Here's Paul praying for this church corporately. What is true for the church gathered is true as a need for every individual member of that church. So he prays, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. That is a very, very concise statement of our need as a church, not just our church, but all New Testament churches, and our need individually. You could take a proper understanding of just those few passages and you could literally pray for an hour filling out the details of those things for the New Testament church that you are attending. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes people will tell me, well, I don't know what to pray. <laughs> well, it's all throughout your Bible. Paul would again pray in Ephesians 3, an extended prayer here for them. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, that He would give you, that He would gift to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. And then He tells you the results of what that would happen if the Lord would do that. Even that passage itself, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, you could fill that out with detail. 
And it would keep you praying for a local New Testament assembly longer than two minutes, wouldn't you agree? Longer than, Lord, just bless our assembly. You could spend extended time. You could spend a whole week filling out the details of that. Praying for our assembly corporately because every person here is in need for this to happen in their lives every day. Every day. We need illumination. We need the gift of wisdom and knowledge of God the Father. And we need strengthening in our inner man, do we not? We live in a world that is at war with God's people and God Himself. This we are to be praying corporately. Now, we can pray for it individually for people, but when we pray these things for a church body corporately, you are praying for every individual member that is attending that assembly. And folks, when the Bible says in other places that we are to be praying in the will of God, this is how we are to be praying. John would write that if we asked anything in agreement with His will, He does it. Isn't that a great promise? The question is, what is His will? Well, Ephesians helps us in a very broad category, to know what that eternal will is, that eternal purpose of God is. From the before the foundation of the world to today, unto the eternal state. This is God's will. And folks, when we asked in agreement with that, we will begin to see God working in the lives of people. Now, they've got to yield to that working, do they not? But you'll see evidences of either them yielding or them resisting. And that's how you know that your prayer is being answered. This is what it means to be praying in the will of God, and this is what it means to be praying in the Spirit. The Spirit and the Word are one. To be praying in the Spirit is to be praying in agreement and on behalf of the will of God, this mystery, this knowledge that Paul has prayed that we would be gifted. Now he tells us that in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. We're to be praying with all prayer at all times, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And of course, that can mean praying for people individually, but folks, you can't pray for all the saints unless you're praying for them corporately. That's like praying for all the authorities that are in your life. How many authorities do you have in your life? You would say innumerable. But you can pray for those that are in rule over us corporately and you're praying for it individual members of that authority. Hallelujah for that. We would be in a real hurt if we had to list everybody's name just in Congress or add the House of Representatives on a federal level or add state or add local authorities, right? Or add our teachers, I mean, we would just be praying individually and you would end up praying, if we understood, you'd end up praying the exact same things for every one of them. Because their needs are common. There are common needs. Now the question arises, is how would this praying for the outworking of the mystery of God look like in the life of an apostle. This is an apostle, capital A, apostle. These men we do not have today. They are all in heaven. 
They are sent ones directly from Christ Himself. They have seen Him. They have heard His voice. None of us has had that happen. I'm called into the ministry, so in a sense, I'm a sent one, but I've not heard Christ directly, neither has anyone else, nor have I seen Him. And nobody else has either. Paul said he was the last one. But we will see Him one day. Amen? We see Him now through the pages of our Bible. How would you pray for an apostle? Here's a man, Paul, who has received the same faith you have. Now we tend to think they had some kind of super faith. Peter says in 1 Peter, as an apostle, he says we have received the same faith. So Paul's faith was the same as whose? Your faith. What made Paul different was what he said in Corinthians when he says, by the grace of God I am what I am. And I labored more than the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God labored in me. He didn't say, by the grace of God, I'm doing what I'm doing, although that is true. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am who I am. We have the same kind of faith, amen? But grace needs to labor in us and we need to labor in that grace so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ. That made Paul the model example. But his faith was of the same kind that you and I have. How would you pray for a man whose goal is the gathering of Gentile believers as an offering acceptable unto God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what drove him. That's high priestly language. The giving up of believing Gentiles as an offering. That's priestly language well-pleasing to God, sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. How would you pray for a man who has that driving ambition? That sounds strange to our ears. How would you pray for a man who in just ten years, three of those years in prison, How do you pray for a man who just in 10 years fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum? You say, well, that's not very impressive. That's 2,000 miles of travel. And he's doing most of it how? Not by airplane. Walking. How do you pray for a man like that? 2,000 miles in 10 years. How do, would you pray for a man who is presently in chains? He is in prison. We think that this was at the end of the book of Acts when he was imprisoned in a house. 
There were others with him. Colossians gives a list of other men who were with him. There was a fellow prisoner in that same house. It's amazing. If you were making a prayer list for a man like that, what would you put on it? Would you say, well, the first thing I'm going to pray for is for his release? Would that be wrong? It would not be wrong to pray for that. I think we probably would spend a good amount of time praying for his health. I think we forget that Paul was not a healthy man. He had at least some form of eye disease or some type of disease that was near his eye. He called it a messenger of Satan. Like a stake in his own flesh. Would it be wrong to pray for his health? I don't I think the answer to that would be what? No, there's nothing wrong with that, but as we know, because we just read this, this is not what Paul's asking for. He's not asking for his release. He'll mention his release to Philemon, but he's not asking the church to corporately pray for his release. He's not asking to pray for his health. He's not even asking, he has in other places, but he's not asking here for his safety. The only place that I know of where Paul asked for prayer for his safety was when he was taking the offering back to Jerusalem. And he said, pray for me because all men don't have faith. He asked for safety when he was going back into the religious sphere. And he didn't even ask prayer for food. I think we might forget that in Paul's day when he was in prison, he didn't have the modern conveniences that many federal and penitentiary people have today. Television, gym room, going out to get good sunshine. He's in prison, right? People had to bring him food. And we saw that with the church at Philippi. He said, I've received what you have sent. I'm thankful for that. But I've learned to be content if I don't have anything or if I have an abundance. Folks, this is an amazing man. He doesn't think like we do. I would guess that we might suppose that Paul would have asked the church to pray for a lawyer. Isn't that what we do? Paul's arrested as a criminal. What would we do? We would say, we need a what? We need a lawyer. Paul's not praying for that. He's not asking prayer for that. And he wasn't asking for financial provision, incognito, or prayer letter. Where they go through their circumstances and it ends, please pray for us, we need more money. He's not asking for that, is he? Folks, what we have here is an illustration of what it means to pray in the Spirit. These are the spiritual concerns surrounding the mystery of His will. Just like Paul illustrated how to pray corporately for a church body, did he not? He's illustrating how they should pray for Him in agreement with the mystery 
in the will of God, in the Spirit of God. And so, folks, this becomes very, very instructive for us on what it would look like for a church to corporately pray for him as an individual in the Spirit of God according to the revealed eternal purpose of God. Here is this example. How to pray for those who are sent. How to pray for those who serve the church of God as an evangelist or a pastor teacher. This is what he's giving to us. Now as we begin to look at this, and as we begin to renew our minds and how we are to be praying for missionaries and those called into the ministry, we've got to acknowledge what I've already mentioned before but is self-evident. Paul is in chains. Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains. The Greek is actually singular. I am an ambassador in chain. Folks, Paul is in a situation that is extremely embarrassing. There is nothing more embarrassing than to be incarcerated. You may have never been pulled over by a policeman for speeding, but how do you feel when they do? Well, you feel guilty. How do you feel when they're talking to you and all the cars are passing and they're slowing down to look at you? It is a shameful situation. And Paul was a public figure. Everybody knew about Paul. It was a shameful, embarrassing situation to be involved in. How would other people look at Paul? What would Paul's testimony look like? they would see him as a criminal. Right? Those in Rome, those unbelieving people, would look at Paul and see him as a criminal. And folks, this is exactly an echo of our Lord. Because our Lord was put to death as a criminal. Paul's innocent. He is incarcerated without a cause. And folks, not only would it have been a shameful, embarrassing situation for Paul, it would have been a shameful, embarrassing situation for the church. How so? Folks, Paul's situation would have been reflective on the church, would it not? Imagine you witnessing to someone in Rome or inviting someone to the services and them saying, well, what are you? Your leader's in jail. He's a criminal. He's broken Roman law. And you're talking about righteousness and holiness and blamelessness. Ha! What is that? And folks, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, we won't turn to it for lack of time, speaks of Paul exhorting Timothy. Listen to what he says. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of Paul, his prisoner. Does everybody hear that? Paul's imprisonment 
brought embarrassment to him and it brought shame to Timothy. And what was true for individuals would end up being true for the church as a whole. And we know that because in the book of Philippians, in the first chapter, he talks about people who are taking advantage of his imprisonment. And they were preaching the gospel for gain. Other people were taking encouragement through it. But folks, he is imprisoned. And he is in a shameful situation. He was also an ambassador. Look at verse 20 again. For which I am an ambassador in chains. An ambassador is someone who acts on behalf of another king and kingdom. An ambassador acts and speaks and lives as an echo of the nation that he represents. Folks, just like you and I, citizens of the United States of America, wherever we go, we are representatives. We're not an official ambassador, but we are representatives of this nation. When Hollywood presents an image of America that is not true, it is shaming our nation. Not just us as individuals, something that we are to be avoiding, but other nations look at that. And you talk to a Muslim nation today, they call us infidels because of our rampant sin. And if you went into a nation like that, they would consider you in the same ballpark. Because you are a representative. You are an American. You are a citizen. Paul is a citizen of another time and another place. But he is also raised to being an ambassador. How he acts, what he says, how he lives, how he behaves is a reflection of the nation that he represents. And folks, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul will talk about this. He will say, I am an ambassador. And he will say this, I'm telling you in God's stead, be reconciled to God. God's not there in person, is He? Christ is on the throne. But Paul's an ambassador. And when he tells someone, be reconciled to God, it is as if who was saying that? God was saying that. And folks, when you give the gospel to somebody, or you exhort somebody, or you warn somebody, they are warning you in His stead to reject the warning is to reject Christ. That's pretty serious, isn't it? But folks, think about this. How would our nation... I'll word it this way. How should our nation react if one of our ambassadors got imprisoned, charged with a criminal crime they had not done? That, symbolically, is a declaration of war. Is it not? And it is a declaration that this is serious. Put me in jail, that's serious. But it's not as serious as if you put an ambassador of a nation in imprisonment. And Rome had done that. Rome had imprisoned an ambassador of another kingdom on the grounds of being a criminal. 
This was an act of war. And Paul just told us what? Our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And they're using people. Rome is at war against the kingdom of God. That makes this a serious and a grave situation. So what is Paul's request? What type of persevering alertness and petition should we be praying for a sent one or a church leader, a pastor, teacher, or an evangelist? Number one. Praying in the will of God for Paul meant that the church should have a concern about his speech. Note here in verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance, everybody see that word, utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Praying in the Spirit for Paul meant that we should be alert of the possibility of a person being silenced when they should be what? Speaking. And folks, I want to remind you that Paul's not asking this as, you know, well... Would you just I'm not really this way, but would you just pray for me? This was a temptation that Paul felt. He felt the temptation to be quiet. Everybody with me? Do you ever feel the oppression and the temptation to be quiet in our culture? You better just shake your head yes. Paul was concerned about that. He wanted to make sure that he would not cease being an echo of the king who had sent him. He was concerned about maintaining a worthy walk which involved opening his mouth. Now this phrase here, opening his mouth, is an interesting phrase. It means from the start of opening your mouth. Paul's concern, not just, oh, I can talk about a lot of things, but eventually I'm going to get to something. No, he's concerned that the moment he opens his mouth, he is speaking forth and echoing what the king had called him to do as an ambassador for Christ. <clears throat> Secondly, what is Paul concerned about? He is concerned that his speech would have the proper content. Look at what it says, verse 19. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known what subject? The mystery of the gospel. Paul was concerned that not only would he open his mouth, but that he would open his mouth with the proper content. Colossians, the parallel passage says, the mystery of Christ, or the mystery of the gospel, or we could say the mystery of God. Paul 
Paul was concerned that from the start of the opening of his mouth that the wisdom of the mystery of Christ would be given to him what to say. And that he would say it. You and I know what it's like to be talking to someone and you're just praying, Lord, give me the opening. Give me what to say. Give me how to open this door so that I can get the gospel to this person. I'm not talking about an invitation. I'm not talking about, Lord, help me to pass out a track. Nothing wrong with inviting people to church. Nothing wrong with passing out a track. What he's concerned about is him opening his mouth and giving the gospel, the content of this mystery, to someone else. He didn't say, Lord, help me to give out church invitations or a church track. He didn't even say, Lord, help me make a copy of New Testament epistles so I could pass out letters. None of those are wrong. But folks, the mystery, now follow this, the mystery has to be seen operating in a living person. Otherwise, it's just some philosophical discussion that you're giving to someone. And that's the way the world sees Christianity today. They just see it as another form of philosophy that they don't like. But you happen to like it, and if you'll be quiet about it and just keep it to yourself, well, that's good for you, just don't bother me with it. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's life. And if it isn't life, it's nothing. Was the gospel working in him? Yes. He wanted to convey that to others. He desired to walk in holiness and blamelessness in the sight of God. He wanted to open up his mouth from the start of opening up his mouth. His only concern was to give the gospel to people. He wasn't just trying to develop a friendship with the two soldiers that were chained to him so that he might be able to give the mystery of the gospel? No. He's looking to give the mystery of the gospel. (laughs) Whether the door's open or the door what? Isn't. Because once you open your mouth and you start giving them the mystery of the gospel, the door is open. The person may shut it, but the door is open. So he's concerned that he wouldn't compromise on the content. Did he feel that temptation? Do you feel that temptation? I'm telling you, the church today feels that temptation. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about them going there. Don't say that it's fire and brimstone. Don't talk about the Trinity. Don't talk about God sending His only begotten Son taking on human flesh. Talk about morality? Maybe. Don't talk about Him. We're tempted with the same thing. And do you know why you're tempted? because you know you might lose that person as a friend or as an intimate acquaintance. Paul wasn't concerned about that. He knew the gospel was the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. He's looking for a supernatural working in people's lives. And folks, it doesn't take it doesn't take 10 years for you to do that. Paul certainly was a friend of sinners. Christ was a friend of sinners, but did Christ get, get around to giving the gospel? 
you read, he gets invited to a dinner and he just lamb blasts all the Pharisees and Sadducees. Our aim and our goal is to give the gospel. It's not to get likes on Facebook. It's not to have people like your Instagram. It's not even about you at all. It's about Him. So Paul was concerned about his speech. And Paul was concerned about the proper content of his speech. In fact, in Colossians, he's going to say, I preach to all men this mystery. Thirdly, he was concerned that he would do this with boldness. Verse 19, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak how? Boldly. As I ought to speak. Paul is concerned that his speech and the content of what he says be given with a certain measure of confidence and liberty. In other words, boldness. Folks, boldness is a requirement for speaking the gospel. You will never get to the place where you feel comfortable just giving the the gospel. You will always be uncomfortable. Why? You're in a warfare. Do you think the enemy is just going to let you prance up and down with no discomfort, no fear, no trembling, just going around giving the gospel just like you'd be talking about your favorite sports team? I don't think so. And you know it's not so. How I ought to speak. This is what's necessary in my speech. Boldness. And folks, when you speak boldly, it means that you speak clearly. Sometimes people will use the word plainly. You're plain about it. You're not holding anything back. You're not trying to conceal something. I heard I've heard programs that said, well, <clears throat> you don't you don't want to share this about the gospel or this about the gospel because that's offensive. No, you just need to share the positives of the gospel and then after they come to Christ, then you can gradually say, oh, well, there's some negatives in here also. That is from the pit. We are tempted to do that. And Paul was tempted to do that. But he's requesting prayer from the church that he would not do that. That he would make it clear and plain, not concealing anything. Paul would say, I may stand before you in fear and trembling, but I'm going to speak it plainly because it's the power of God unto salvation. And folks, our boldness, the measure of our boldness, is a measure of our hope. How confident are you that the promises of God are what they say they are? Little confident expectation, little boldness. 
Little faith, little boldness. Not understanding your New Testament, not understanding what we've just spent so far 77 hours looking at. No understanding where that's gripped your heart and changed your life and changed your speech and changed the way you walk and changed the way you think because you've been renewed in your minds. Little of that, little boldness. Your measure of boldness shows your measure of hope and faith in Christ. And that really is a measuring stick that we all fall far short of what we ought to be. I'll never forget, I won't mention any names, but I'll never forget a teenager who was mocking and attempting to shame another teenager. And this particular teenager had just stood up in public school and had told her teacher that evolution was not true. Now think about that. Is that bold? You know why she was bold? She believed it. She stood up in a class of students in a public school and told her teacher it was respectful. That she believed in a literal six-day creation by God and that evolution was wrong. You say, what happened? They laughed at her to scorn. And this other teenager was saying that that teenager was not a good Christian. I say that in spite of both of those teenagers' faults, that one that stood up boldly in a situation like that, I'm not sure I would do something like that. Quite possibly could have a greater measure of grace working in that person's life than the other. And folks, the world, the world has been busy the last 40 to 60 years slowly but surely telling Christian people they can't practice their religion in public. And folks, right now, the way it is, I'm speaking from the world's perspective, the world will say to you, when you're within these four walls, you can talk, you can confess, you can preach, you can open your Bible. But once you go outside that door, you are to be quiet and silent. That's what they call freedom of religion today. But folks, the Constitution does not guarantee us freedom of religion. We're always free to practice our religion, even if the laws are against it. It's freedom of religion to practice it. And part of being a Christian is confessing Jesus Christ. Paul was concerned. This boldness was a characteristic that the church looked for in people. You remember when Paul himself got regenerated and he began to speak in Damascus and he was confessing to people the Son of God and he went to Jerusalem, and the church at Jerusalem was very reluctant to let Paul in, and so would you, amen? And the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that Barnabas took hold of Paul and described to the church at Jerusalem how at Damascus, Paul had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And Paul was with them in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Anybody can say I'm a Christian. But speaking out boldly, there's a characteristic. 
Paul would enter the synagogue in Acts chapter 19 and continue speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, You know how I suffered and was mistreated in Philippi. You know this. We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. That's really where boldness is needed is when things are pushing back at you. Folks, those are the three things. Would you not agree that these three things are the most important thing that Paul needed? (laughs) We could pray for his release. We could pray that he has a lawyer. We could pray for all these things. But to pray in the Spirit for this man was to pray about the opening up of his mouth. It was to pray that he would speak the proper content. And it was to pray that he would do it with boldness, plainly, clearly, fully persuaded when he spoke to people. And folks, I think that's what you and I ought to be praying for our missionaries. I think that's what you and I ought to be praying for evangelists. I think that's what you should be praying for myself. I know, I know that you think that being a pastor teacher is not on the same level as a missionary on a foreign field. But folks, I want to tell you And you're not aware of this, I don't think. You'd have to be a pastor to be aware of this. There is a great temptation to change what the Bible says or be silent about things that the Bible says because you know people in that congregation won't like it. It's the same temptation. And folks, it is interesting as I close, it is interesting that Paul is not telling the church at Ephesus to do these things. He's actually using himself of what his needs are. What are the need? Open our mouth. Echo the mystery of the Gospel. We need boldness. Now folks, I want to ask you a question I ask myself. Have you lost your boldness? Have you been silenced? Have you and I lost an understanding that our lives are to be an echo of another time and another place? The way we live, the way we speak, the way we think are all to be reflective of things above. I think in general we have. Dr. John MacArthur, many, many years ago, I read a book entitled Ashamed of the Gospel. It was a critique of modern evangelicalism several decades ago. And he asked the question, has the church in America got to the place where we're ashamed of the Gospel? And his conclusion was what? Yes. Well, we're 20 or so years beyond that. And it hasn't gotten better. Folks, we must pray properly. We must pray with understanding. We must pray for the real needs. 
And again, I want to say this again. Can we pray for Him to have food? Sure. Could we pray for Him to be released? Absolutely. But the thing that He needs and you and I need above all that is to open our mouth to give the proper content to people and to do it plainly, fully persuaded that what God has said is so. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.